On Friday, the University of Oklahoma football team kicked off the 2018 season with their first practice of fall training camp. Say it with me now. There are only two and a half weeks to get through until it is officially game week. We are within four weeks of the opener. The best time of the year is almost here. And with fall camp opening up, there's going to be a lot of information thrown your way. That's why I wanted to revisit exactly where we stand with position battles at the beginning of camp. During media availability over the last couple weeks, competition has been one of the buzzwords. Now, there's some things that the coaches have said that have generated a lot of talk in the run-up to fall camp, like giving the impression there are competitions being held at positions where there really is no competition. I'm specifically referencing the quarterback position as well as weak side linebacker. The coaches can tell us whatever they want, but we know Kyler Murray and Caleb Kelly are starting at those positions, so no need to add them to the list. The four position battles you really need to know about are as follows. Along the offensive line, it appears to be a two-horse race between Cody Ford and Bobby Evans to replace Orlando Brown at left tackle. Bobby Evans was logically assumed to be the heir apparent to slide from the right to the left, but Cody Ford's emergence in the spring has created a legitimate competition for that spot. Ford has even slimmed down to 330 pounds to accommodate the switch from inside to outside, and early returns from practice are positive. Either way, you have to figure the Sooners are in good shape here. Some film junkie types have hyped Bobby Evans as arguably the best offensive lineman in the Big 12, and before Cody Ford broke his leg early in 2016, the buzz around him was similar to that of Orlando Brown. Early indications have me leaning towards Evans staying on the right side with Cody Ford being inserted on the left, but a lot can change. Stay tuned on this one. A much more important battle on the offensive line will be between Jonathan Alvarez and Creed Humphrey at center. Alvarez is a fifth-year senior who has a significant amount of starting experience and has actually started at guard in a college football playoff game, the 2015 Orange Bowl against Clemson. However, The last time we saw Alvarez, he was getting his lunch handed to him by Ed Oliver of Houston, and that was after preseason practice reports that said walk-on Eric Wren was nipping at his heels. Alvarez took a redshirt in 2017, and I honestly thought that was a signal he was probably going to be processed out of the program. That clearly is not the case, and he is thick in the competition right now at center. He is one of the first players mentioned along the offensive line by the coaches. I'll flat out say it. This concerns me. By all indications, Creed Humphrey is a much more talented player. He was consistently mentioned as someone they were on the fence about redshirting last year, citing his physicality and rare makeup for a true freshman. Now, I'm always open to changing my mind about a player, and I hope I'm wrong. But based on what we've seen from Alvarez in his career, it would behoove the Sooners to start a more talented player at that position. On the other side of the ball, it's all about the safety position. It's reportedly Khalil Houghton versus Jordan Parker at strong safety and Robert Barnes versus Justin Broyles at free safety. Now, conventional wisdom suggests that Khalil Houghton will lock down strong safety. He was arguably the most consistent safety on the roster last season, and he's about as sure as a tackler as they have on the back end. But you can't discount the coverage ability Jordan Parker brings to the position. Parker was a top 100 recruit per rivals, and he started eight games at corners a true freshman in 2016. Free safety is about as wide open as it gets. Robert Barnes showed flashes last season and is about as physically imposing as a safety gets. However, he has a history of injuries and was banged up all spring. Justin Broyles took advantage of Barnes being down in the spring and squarely inserted himself into the competition. 
A positive spin at safety is that I think there will be a clear athletic upgrade at the position this season. However, an experience at safety, and especially in the Big 12, can come back to haunt you at the worst possible times, and it'd be naive to suggest that this group won't go through some growing pains as the season progresses. However, I think we're likely to see a lot of all four of these guys over the course of the season. So again, stay tuned on that one. So there you have it. The four position battles that truly matter over the next three weeks. I'm so happy we finally reached this point, and Lee and I will be here over the next five months breaking everything down. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Third down and goal. Play fake, Hibble's going to throw for it. Got a man wide open, touchdown! His roommate, Trent Smith. Hibble to 88, and the Sooners are on the board. Nate Hibble and Trent Smith welcomes us into another edition of West of Everest. Hibble threw a pair of touchdown passes in Oklahoma's 29-7 win over Colorado in the 2002 Big 12 Championship game. Less than a month later, the Sooners knocked off Washington State in the Rose Bowl. It's August, the eighth month of the year, so it's perfect that our intro today includes Hibble, who wore number eight, and Trent Smith, who wore number 88. Hello again, everybody. I'm Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top with his opening take this week. This is West of Everest, and if you're new to the show and you love Oklahoma football, I promise you're going to enjoy this podcast. Now, we don't do recruiting here. We leave that side of college football to the experts and those who are plugged in. Instead, this show focuses on the current Sooners team, analyzing everything from position battles to on-field play, X's and O's, football philosophy, and much, much more. With the season less than a month away, we're getting into our sweet spot right now. During the offseason, we've done one show per week, but once the season begins, we'll go to two shows per week. The first show of the week will serve as a recap of Oklahoma's last game. The second show will be a look ahead to the Sooners' next opponent. I promise you, if you're a football junkie, particularly an Oklahoma football junkie, you're going to enjoy this pod, and maybe you'll even learn stuff you didn't already know. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe to West of Everest on iTunes. If you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review. We continue to get a bunch of positive feedback, but even if you've got negative feedback, we'll take it. We always strive to make this show better. If you're on Facebook, search for West of Everest and locate our page. Give us a like. That way you can stay up to date with the podcast schedule as well as other news and notes that we post to Facebook. On Monday this week, I shared some Oklahoma practice video. Lincoln Riley was kind enough to let us media members into practice for the first time this fall. I got some great footage as well as my co-worker at News 9 in Oklahoma City, Brian. He got some, fanta uh, some fantastic shots of uh, Parnell Motley doing his signature move that uh, once you see the video, you'll know what I mean. And Trey Norwood also, he was uh, doing some cool dance moves. So those are always fun to watch in fall camp. They're just excited about football as we are. Head on over to the West of Everest Facebook page. Give us a like and watch all those videos. Also, Grant and I are on Twitter if you're on uh, other forms of social media. I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. Also, we've got an old-fashioned email address for the show if you'd like to contact us there. The email is westofeverest at gmail.com. 
Send us a message through email. Send us a message on Facebook. Either way, we'll see it and do our best to get back to you. Let's bring back Grant now. And just a heads up for you, Grant. You mentioned uh, Bobby Evans and Cody Ford, that position battle during your opening take. I got a chance to talk to Cody Ford on Monday of this week. I was able to ask him to describe how that rotation between left and right tackle is working in practice and also asked him about the challenges of changing positions on the offensive line. So we'll play that interview for you later on in the show. So are you looking forward to hearing what Cody Ford has to say? Yeah, of course. Why not? Let's see what he's got to say. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm kind of curious. What, like, if you ask him, you know, hey, what are the challenges? Or, like, you know, is it hard to switch positions? And I bet he'll just come out and say, yeah, man, it's super hard. I don't know if I can do it. Did he say that? Uh, we'll see. Well, we'll see. He might have. So, and also, I kind of want to back up a little bit too, just because. So, I, I was actually the one who who, who picked the uh, the opening kind of like play that we open our intro with this week. And so, because it is the eighth month of the season, Nate Hibble wore number eight, and I thought I figured we just not there's not quite enough Nate Hibble love on this podcast. Um, so I wanted to give Nate Hibble his due. So um, I, I I wanted to. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Lee. It it, it kind of it, it took a bit to find a good call uh, that involved Nate Hibble. He he was involved in a lot of great plays. It just typically was someone else making the great play. He was usually just kind of distributing. I don't know, Lee. I don't really have any memory of that 2002 Big 12 championship game. So kind of going through and watching some of that was like was really interesting because I don't. I, I was 12 years old and I just don't really remember it that much. I I don't either. I didn't remember it much at all. Uh, the one part about that season that most everybody remembers is the Rose Bowl because Oklahoma won the Rose Bowl in dominating fashion over Washington State. We've talked about that game before on this podcast. I Yeah, I, I couldn't have told you who Oklahoma beat in the Big 12 title game leading up to that Rose Bowl that season and found out that it was Colorado. So that just shows you uh, how memories work. And uh, the only other thing that I thought as I was watching back some of that game is that J.D. Runnels played in that game. And I've, I'm friendly with J.D. because he's around here in Oklahoma City and he's a great tool for a lot of the high school football players around here and he teaches them all they need to know about going to college and things like that so the next time I see JD I might have to bring up to him uh, that I watched uh, some of that 20 or 2002 Big 12 title game and of course uh, I saw on Twitter recently he posted some uh, pictures of him wearing all of the rings he earned while playing at Oklahoma and one of those rings uh, I'm sure I, I'm sure it's one of the Big 12 title rings from that year then also the Rose Bowl ring as well and he also had a Rose Bowl wristwatch which was kind of cool I had never seen that before so that's what I thought of when I was uh, watching back that Big 12 title game Lee the, the 2002 season the last OU season or OU football season I do not have vivid memory of if if that uh, if that means anything to anyone I just thought that was an interesting thing to throw out there I it's that's one where I'm I, I kind of struggle sometimes to think back and remember of course we had the 2000 season that everyone just kind of remembers fairly, you know, fairly clearly because it ended in a national championship. That 2002 season, Lee, is, uh, you know, kind of always kind of struggle to come up with memorable moments from that one. The only one that come to mind is when they beat Alabama at um, in Norman and Ronaldo Works had like his long little 40 yard run to mm-hmm. set up the go ahead score. That was like in September of that year. That's that's honestly really the only thing I remember from that season. Is that the last time Alabama played a true road game at a, a non-conference? Yeah, pretty a, much. It, it probably is. Good team. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually. I, I, they played at Penn State in 2011, um, oh. but hmm. you know, actually, but I, 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 I see where you were going there. 
All right, let's get this uh, Kyler Murray, Lincoln Riley, Scott Boris stuff out of the way at the top of the show. Uh, in case you missed it last Friday, just a quick rundown. Lincoln Riley, talking to the media, said that we'll see if this is Kyler's final year at Oklahoma playing football. Then on Saturday, Murray's agent, Scott Boris, told The Athletic that Kyler's journey has a defined path, which includes playing football at Oklahoma for just the 2018 season. Then on Monday of this week, when Jason Kersey from The Athletic asked Kyler if he's thinking about coming back to play football at Oklahoma next year, Murray said, quote, I'm just worried about this season. So basically, Riley and Murray are not publicly saying this is for sure Murray's final year at Oklahoma, yet you have Murray's agent saying that this is indeed Murray's final year at Oklahoma. Uh, Grant, do you have any theories as to why this has been a thing over the past couple of days? Um, well, I mean, it, it's clear. he's Kyler Murray is playing one season at Oklahoma this year. He's not, he will not be back next year. Um, I, I, I have to think it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that him and Lincoln Riley have talked about, and this is probably how they've decided how they're going to handle it, I would assume. Um, because I mean, really, if you think about it, what if, you know, what if he comes, what if, let's say theoretically he has a better season than Baker Mayfield ever had. He wins the Heisman, wins a national championship, just loves it so much. And he wants to come back again. Athletics be damned. I suppose there's a 0.001% chance of that happening. So I guess you want to leave the door open in in case of something like that. But you know, I, I, yeah, I I have to think this is just how Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray decided that's how they're going to handle it. But when the agent is saying that he's got a defined path and that includes one year at Oklahoma, wouldn't you think even if he had a a year like that, like you just mentioned, that maybe he's bind or he's committed to Oakland and he's contractually obligated to leave Oklahoma? I mean, we don't know what the details of the contract are, like all the details. It's not public, obviously. Contracts are private. But we at least from uh, Kyler's agent, Scott Boris, we at least have heard that part of how it's uh, been defined through one year. So that's why I'm kind of like curious as to like what kind of language is in this contract that would that would leave uh, Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray to not just admit, yeah, this is the last year he's going to be here. We This is going to be great. We're focused on this football season, obviously. And, and yeah, I'm going to play baseball moving forward after this year. This is this is it, it's just a fall camp thing. It's a preseason thing. You know, I as soon as as soon as we kick off, no one's going to care about this. It's just something to talk about and write about leading up mm-hmm. to camp. Um, mm-hmm. and, th- and this is not. I I don't even think Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray are handling this in a weird way. I mean, this is just this is this is coach speak. I mean, this is exactly what you hear. Um, I mean, this is this is pretty much the canned response from any coach or player who doesn't want to answer a question. That's kind of how it works. So I don't know. I, I mean, Kyler Murray is going to be the starting quarterback here at Oklahoma for one year. Period. Um, Anything other than that is just that. It's just talk. Well, I will push back a bit on the theory that this is coach speak or the take that is coach speak because whenever Lincoln Riley was first asked the question last Friday, and I apologize to the reporter who asked. I can't remember. I, th- I heard I was actually one of the reporters from the OU Daily, actually, because it's one of those things. I was there in the scrum. I have a camera. I'm looking at Riley. I can't see every reporter, and, and I don't recognize everybody's voice. So I apologize. I, I can't identify the reporter who asked the question. But basically the question was, since Kyler is only going to play one season here, has his mentality changed? Have you noticed anything different the way he's playing and practice, things like that? And Riley kind of paused. 
and then he had he even said it out loud. He kind of smiled and said, "Hmm, how am I gonna how am I gonna handle this?" So it's almost like he wasn't particularly ready for that question in a way. And then he went on to say, "We'll we'll see if this is his last year. That's not set in stone." And you know, if he chooses to play baseball, obviously the wish him the best, everything, you know, blah blah blah. So that's where I was kind of interesting. That's almost like he wasn't anticipating the question, and, and he didn't he didn't uh, take the question and get mad or anything. He was actually the other way around. He was kind of he smiled and was like, "Hmm, how am I gonna?" And it was kind of refreshing to see a coach verbally speak what was on his mind instead of him just being you know silent and thinking in his head. He's like, "Hmm, how am I gonna handle this?" And smiled, and the reporters kind of smiled too. So, anyways. I, that's why it's. I don't think it's a hundred percent coach speak. I think it's, it's kind of puzzling that they're, they're not publicly committing to this being Murray's final season. But at the same time, I gotta, I gotta think though because Leon Riley is obviously a very smart person. There's got to be a logical reason for uh, for Oklahoma choosing not to make this a public thought. So that's yeah, just there's kind of there, what I'm, I'm thinking of, yeah. there there's got to be a method to their madness. There's there's got to be a you know some reason they're choosing to answer questions like this. But my guess is there's, you know, they they're probably just worried about any small thing or maybe they don't want it to be a thing over the course of the season where uh, or to create headlines. Oh, Kyler Murray's having a great year, but this is definitely his last year. Maybe they're just trying to. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And also, I want to I I, I, I just want to point out how odd it is. You, you have the media asking these questions and you, got, you have Lincoln Riley talking to a media and everyone in the media knows that Kyler Murray is only here for one year. Lincoln Riley knows he's only here for one year. That's why I think this whole thing is just kind of silly. It's just, um, it, it well, is what it is. That's why it's worth asking why. Yeah, everyone says we know that, yet the head coach and the quarterback, they're not going along with it. So it's like there's got to be a reason for that. We just don't know that reason yet. And from what I can tell, Lincoln Riley, we record these on Tuesdays. This is Tuesday we're recording this. Uh, unfortunately, I was not able to go to practice today, mainly because I am off today, uh, off of work. And you can get mad at me for not just going there on my off day. I guess I could have, but um, I decided to sleep in past uh, 10 o'clock today. So uh didn't happen. Anyways, that's not you don't care about that. What I was going to say, though, is that I haven't heard anything at all from Lincoln Riley today in regards to Kyler Murray. So I don't know if he was asked again about Murray to clarify this or not, or if at this point the media, we're just going to move on and just, you know what, let's just deal with the current team, which I would be fine with because... This whole storyline to me is kind of boring because we all just figure he's going to play baseball after this football season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hope um, any like writers covering this the team. I just drop this story. I, I, I. It's not relevant. Well, we it's all also know. part of our jobs too. I mean, you yeah, gotta, that's true. I, 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 I okay, that, coaches need hacky, to be on the record. But. The coaches need to be on the record on it, and so it's it's definitely a story. I'm not saying it's not a story because it is. I'm just. I'm I'm opining and saying that what I think it's kind of a boring story, but that doesn't mean that it, it is a boring story because there's other people that might think it isn't boring. So that's yeah, fine. that's a good that's a good point. You know, they'll if if people are reading it, then I suppose it's a story. But um, I I do have a theory though. I have one theory. Do you want to hear this theory? It's it's out there, but I it it might be a thing of as to why they're doing this. Well, Lee, you have your own Oklahoma football podcast, so I. I'd be remiss if you didn't offer up your crazy conspiracy <laughs> theory. Let's hear it. All right. So what if part of Kyler Murray's contract with the Oakland Athletics includes some sort of injury clause where if Kyler suffers a serious injury at Oklahoma, he has to then forfeit that four plus million dollar signing bonus. But also 
it allows Kyler to be freed from the athletics and he's able to head back to Oklahoma for another season. And then subsequent, subsequently, he's able to go back into the Major League Baseball draft for next year. Um, uh, I mean, I mean, as, as far as conspiracy theories go, that's about as as it's, it's not it's not very wacky. I'd say that seems fairly plausible. I don't know if he can re-enter the draft after actually signing a contract, that's, but if, but that's of course, the thing. If, yeah, I I'm not an expert on Major League Baseball draft and contracts and things like that, so I'm not sure if it's even possible to have a clause like that when a guy, especially is like a first round pick, a top he's a top ten pick, right? Yeah, number nine overall, I think, and and signs such a big deal. But you know, this is a unique situation. You know, you've got. You've got to think Murray and his family and Scott Boris are just trying to protect him as much as possible. But then also you got to think the athletics are trying to protect themselves as well, because it's a huge risk in theory, allowing this guy or they're paying almost five million dollars to go play football for a year. Oh, yeah, it's a huge risk. I if I was the A's, I, I wouldn't have allowed this. But that just shows you how mu- how highly they think of him as a baseball player, obviously. And, and also, too, it shows that while this is a risk, it really even if he does suffer some bad injury, let's be honest. I mean, Kyler Murray's young. He's athletic. If if he doesn't do his leg or his arm, I mean, he can rehab and be fine, and he'll be back to 100%. And that's, I mean, that's part of the risk, but he's never really been injured. And, and the way he plays, granted, he's never played a full college football season, but he's so smart, and he doesn't take hits, really. At least he has in the past. We'll see if it changes now. He'll be playing all the snaps, we assume. But... Um, I don't think it's as much of a risk, though, as maybe one would think, even though I just said it's a big risk. So I'm kind of contradicting myself. I mean, I think anytime you you play football, it's a large risk. I mean, that's so many weird, wacky things can happen to your limbs on a football field. Uh, It's always a risk. I mean, I the the chances are are in his favor, obviously, but it's um, certainly an interesting move by the athletics. I'm it's. Uh, they they must just really they they must think he is a he's a potential superstar playing baseball because uh, otherwise I don't know why you would do this. Um, but yeah, hey, All right. more, more power to them. They can do what they want. This is not a baseball podcast. All right, we well, open the show talking about position battles, and one of the position battles is quarterback. And and you mentioned that it's not really a position battle. It's going to be Kyler Murray, and I tend to agree. And we've gone over this before. If you want to hear our thoughts on this fully. Go back, listen to a previous podcast. We're not going to spend too much time on it today. Let's just move on from the quarterback. And and I haven't really heard many many nuggets at all from the first almost week of camp. Uh, it doesn't sound like oh my gosh, Kyle Murray obviously is out playing Austin Kendall. Like none of that so far. It's the only thing really is that Lincoln Riley said that he has no timetable at all for when he wants to name a starting quarterback, um, which is no surprise. That's kind of that's coach speak. How about that? You talking about coach speak? That's ultimate coach speak no timetable to name a starting quarterback so uh let's move on to some other fall camp updates and this is a new one for tuesday again this is a, a wednesday podcast it comes out on wednesdays but we record tuesdays and the big news from lincoln riley's availability on tuesday is that freshman cornerback starlin baldwin retore his acl and will miss the season baldwin tore his acl last fall in high school he missed Oklahoma's spring practice after he enrolled early, and then now it sounds like he – not sounds like he did. He injured it again. So uh, that's tough news for Starlin Baldwin, a true freshman, cornerback, already coming in in a super loaded position group and a super loaded secondary. Uh, that's tough for him. He'll be behind and, and 
the be- wish him the best in his recovery. Obviously, uh, Grant didn't know if he had any comments on Starlin Baldwin. I hadn't really heard much about him. I haven't seen his high school tape, so I can't really tell you much. I will say it is interesting and, and good for him that he was able to enroll early. Uh, it's just too bad that now he's got to sit out another year. Yeah, you know, I, I would just have to say Starlin's got himself a, a very steep hill to climb after this, um, especially now he's going to have two consecutive years of not playing football, um, which means he never played as a senior in high school. Uh, you know, I think it was like early September he injured it last season. So, yeah, yeah. he missed most of his senior season. Um, so, yeah, he, he, he's just he, he's got a very, very steep hill to climb. Um, to be a contributor on this team in the future now uh, just uh, I'm assuming you tore the same ACL you said he retore it he retore it from the reports I've seen today so yes let's let's from hope what, uh, what, what what Lincoln Riley said I should right. say yeah well let's hope this is this is just a setback and uh, but you know typically when you when you tear the exact same ACL I mean a year apart from each other not not looking great for Starlin, but you know, obviously, I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong. But yeah, a very, a very long road to hoe for for Starlin coming up if if he ever wants to be a contributor on in this program. It's which is sad. It, it sucks. I mean, you, there's there's not a lot you can do about injuries. Other camp notes. Uh, nothing else injury wise that I've heard. Uh, I will say though, on Monday, I was able to go to practice. Uh, first twenty minutes of practice. So that was. Uh, that's always fun. We, we get as many camera guys out there as possible this time around at, uh, at News 9 in Oklahoma City. It was me and my coworker, Brian. Brian shot the defensive guys. I shot the offensive guys uh, for 20 minutes. And actually, Lincoln Riley is going to allow cameras into practice one more time during fall camp, which from what I've heard, and granted, this is only the second year fully that I will be covering Oklahoma football uh, for a news organization in Oklahoma. I've heard in the past that Bob Stoops would only allow cameras in one time and that was it. And that was all you got. So now it's two times. So Lincoln Riley allowing uh, us, us video people a little more opportunity to get footage of certain players. So thank you, coach Riley. That is much appreciative. But uh, the point I wanted to bring up is that uh, what I noticed in the first 20 minutes of practice was that Rodney Anderson Kennedy Brooks and Michael Jones were not in shells, which is helmet and shoulder pads. And the rest of the players on the team uh, were in helmets and shoulder pads at Monday's practice. I did ask uh, Mike Houck, Oklahoma's SID, if they had an official statement at all following that practice at all about like Rodney or the other guys. And he said, no, nope, you can talk to Coach Riley tomorrow. And uh, from what I can tell, Lincoln Riley, he, I don't think he talked about it today. Uh, on Tuesday again I wasn't I wasn't there so I apologize for not having updated on the ground info from Lincoln Riley on Tuesday but from what I've gathered I I don't know if he was asked about Rodney today which leads me to believe that this is not a big deal at all Riley did mention last week at the first availability on Friday which I was at that uh, a few guys on the team you know just your typical bumps bruises muscle tweaks things like that and that uh, he was going to kind of ease players along. So my guess is that this is probably all precautionary. And I texted you that the other day, Grant, and said, hey, this is what I noticed. And and your first thought was like, oh, man, it would suck if injuries are already a thing. But uh, have you have you came around to think maybe this is not that big of a deal? Oh, it's not a big deal. I saw video of, of all three of those guys, and they were moving without reservation. They're fine. It, it was yeah, just, just a day off. I'm it glad almost, you brought that up. Yeah, yeah it was um, – 
Yeah, Rodney Anderson, I I wouldn't even like my first thought was maybe it was just like a, a veteran day off, to be honest with you. Which Especially with which, his injury history which, yeah, too. Which and, which certainly mm-hmm. should be a thing in college if it's not already. Um mm-hmm. for college coaches to do. But um no, no, I'm I'm not concerned at all. Yeah, and that's I'm glad you brought up uh you saw him because and I guess I did make that clear. Yeah, I saw him all those guys were out there stretching. They looked fine. They looked normal. And then whenever all the position groups broke up and were doing drills, those guys that didn't have shells on, like Rodney and, and Brooks, they went off and kind of did their own thing, uh, little workouts and things like that. It's like away from everybody else. But it's, it's not like they were just standing around. They weren't just doing nothing. They were still doing things. So that would lead you to believe that they are fine and that it was just some sort of uh, limited practice kind of thing. So nothing to worry about there in my opinion, and also in Grant's opinion. Uh, some other things that stood out to me during the 20 minutes of practice that I got to see. Again, I was focusing mainly on the offense. TJ Pledger, the true freshman running back, I saw him take a flat pass from Kyler Murray in a one-on-one drill and juke out John Michael Terry pretty good. You got a fast running back going against a linebacker. The running back's got definitely advantage there and and he didn't make john michael terry look very good so tj pleasure looked like he had a little bit of wiggle to him i noticed that uh seemed somewhat thick too uh but also very small in stature uh speaking of running backs who look thick uh trey sermon just looked massive but he's always looked big to me uh that's a big dude true sophomore now trey sermon and then uh the last thing that i noticed and i got this from a video that uh Again, my coworker Brian shot of Trey Norwood. If you go to the West of Everest Facebook page, you'll see video of Trey Norwood doing a nice little dance during uh, warm-ups, which shows me that uh, Trey Norwood, he seems to be quite confident after last season. He knows he's going to start, or he's at least battling for a starting spot considering that he started the rest of the season last year, late in the year. Uh, I like seeing that from Trey Norwood. He looked a little bit thicker, I suppose. He has said that he's put on some weight. And uh, I'm expecting big things from him, a big jump from him. Because, again, I've said it before on this podcast, I think Trey Norwood was the, was the best cover defensive back Oklahoma had last season. And uh, that's incredibly important in the Big 12 and especially at the cornerback position. What are your thoughts on any of those things, Grant? I want to just kind of go back to Trey Sermon real quick. I feel like if we were uh, in usual years, Lee, if there was a true freshman who ran for nearly 800 yards and ripped off as many big runs as Trey Sermon did, like actually like, you know, really big game changing runs that we would be way more, you know, excited for someone like that going into his second year. Don't you think? But has, but Rodney Anderson has just completely overshadowed Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon was so good last year. Yeah, he was, he was great. And now we're going to have a scenario where, you know, going into last year's camp, Lincoln Riley said constantly, I'm not sure who the running backs are, who's going to start. And he was actually being serious because they're all really good. But now going in, we know what they can bring. We know what Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon can bring to the table. Abdul Adams is gone now. But you you got to expect now going in that not only are the fans expecting this, but the coaching staff is expecting Rodney Anderson one, Trey Sermon two, uh, and then whoever else after that. So at least we know what we're going to get so we can even expect bigger things. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm thinking too. I said, and I and I I theorize that we might see Sermon, you know, a, a maybe a little bit in that Dimitri Flowers role this year, Lee. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if 
if Trey Sermon is the one who kind of acts as Dimitri Flowers' replacement. That's that's kind of my my under the radar like sort of preseason call. Um, but I, I want people to look out for that because I think it's actually it's it's possible because Carson Meyer and Jeremiah Hall, yeah, just just not a whole lot of talk coming coming from their camp so far in camp. So um, I don't I know. I gotta tell I, you, Grant. Uh, I gotta tell you, Grant. That is a that is a really good take. I had not I have not heard that from anybody yet, and there is no indication that that's gonna happen. But that's a really good take because of the depth at running back, what we know Sermon can do, and what we know Dimitri Flowers did last year. He was, outside of Baker Mayfield, the most important part of that offense last season with the way he was able to move around formations. That the question is, though, if that's going to happen, is Trey Sermon a guy who's comfortable playing up back, playing as a tight end sometimes? I mean, that's a lot to ask from a guy who's never done that before. But athletically, talent-wise... I mean, Trey Sermon would be uh, a great replacement for Dimitri Flowers, of course. And uh, uh, again, yeah, Carson Meyer and um, I'm, I'm the other guys. Bl- I'm blanking. Jeremiah Hall. Jeremiah Hall. Yeah, Jeremiah Hall. Like you said, yeah, not a whole lot has been said so far. Granted, camp just started, but um, it seems like Carson Meyer is leading that position battle. The question is, though, even if he does win that job, will they use Carson Meyer any? any way like or in the same kind of ways that Oklahoma used flowers last year and it seems hard to imagine that being the case and I and I I don't necessarily mean that Trey Sermon is going to 100% take over for Dimitri flowers and you know do everything that he did I, I'm more thinking as like as a pass catcher um, you know kind of out of the backfield in ways that in ways like that and you know Trey, Trey Sermon's a big guy you know not not necessarily in stature but that guy is just his is you know he's made of metal so um I, and he catches the ball extremely well, so um, I yeah I, I just think it it kind of makes sense in those in those respects. Um, I don't know how it works from you know a, a mental standpoint or a blocking standpoint, but I, I I'd be surprised if that's not something they haven't thrown around. But yeah, you're right. I, I'm 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 pretty concerned about that fullback position or the the H back position. I, I'm starting to think that it's going to be that it's eventually going to be Braden Willis, the true freshman, that overtakes both Meyer and Jeremiah Hall. And I got no inside knowledge to to go in on that. It's just more of you know, you know, Braden Willis looks like a kind of an elite athlete. He's got the size already, um, and you just not hearing anything from Meyer and Hall. And so that that's that's kind of where I'm coming from on that. All right, uh, you want to talk some offensive line? Sure, why not? Now, you were pretty hard on Jonathan Alvarez in your opening take. Do you want to take any of that back? <laughs> I Well, I mean, no, it's... I. You're just... That's your opinion. That's, yeah, I'm yeah, not, a, it, not it, attacking him personally. It's just I he's... Know, I know. I know. I was just... I'm giving you a hard time. Because, I mean, because you and I, we disagree. We disagree on the situation. Uh, I think Alvarez is going to win the job, and I think it's going to be just fine. And I got a chance to talk to Alvarez on Monday. He was made available to the media. And the main thing that I remember him saying is that he, uh, his hunger for the game has increased uh, having to redshirt last year. And it wasn't just that he had to redshirt, which obviously is not a fun thing for anybody that wants to play. It's that he redshirted as a veteran player. I mean, he's a redshirt senior now, and he didn't redshirt until last season. So like, he's chopping at the bit to play. And uh, he also said that, yeah, him and Creed Humphrey, they're battling and they're helping each other out. He's helping him out and everything is going great. So it's going to be one of those situations where Bill Biedenboe will be tasked with deciding on which one looks better, which one will fare uh, 
better on the offensive line, if you will. And uh, I tend to think it's going to be Alvarez because of the experience. And I just, I'm hoping that redshirt season uh, will certainly benefit him and it'll make him want to make his senior season, his final year at OU, that much more memorable. So um, that, those are my thoughts on Alvarez. I, you know, if, if Creed Humphrey wins a job too, that to me that'll say, man, he's a pretty good player because uh, that'll be a redshirt freshman snapping the football to Kyler Murray or Austin Kendall. So I'm, that's definitely one of the more interesting position battles as you laid out in the opening take. Give me talent over experience 100 times out of 100, just as Barry Switzer would have said. I, I will take talent over experience every single time. All right. Well, sticking with the offensive line, even without Orlando Brown, who, who by the way, I don't know if you watched much of the Hall of Fame game, Grant, but he looked pretty good he looked for good. the Ravens last week. He played week. well. Yeah. I uh, watched decently close because I am a Bears fan. I like the Bears, so I was remembering, okay, when Orlando Brown's in there, I kind of want to watch him play. I don't recall him making any sort of mistakes. I don't recall him making any sort of uh, errors. It seemed like whenever he was supposed to pass block, he blocked his guy just fine. Whenever he was supposed to run block, he run block just fine. I think he got a real nice pancake block one time that the the broadcast uh, highlighted. So, yeah, he looked good. So that, like, like we've said, sorry to interrupt you, but like you, you've said, I've said, I mean, that he can end up being a steal and a late round pick, and I think you've said right that he's going to be a a ten year starter on the line in the NFL, something like that, right? Yeah, he he is. I I, I just think he is. He's his size and the length of his arms, um, and his surprising athleticism really cover up for a lot of kind of technical warts in his game. Um, and Lee and, and pass pro against the Bears the other night, he I, I, he did get bull rushed a couple times and kind of got pushed back into the pocket. But I mean, and, and Collinsworth kept saying it on that. He's just so big and his arms are so long. It's impossible to get around him. And so, I mean, that he's he's going to make a lot of money in the NFL. That was a that was just that was a really a really smart pick by Baltimore. He's He's going to be a 10 year vet. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's uh, going to be really, really good. Because he was really good for three years at Oklahoma. So that's the past and looking forward in the future for the NFL. But back to this current OU team, I still think tackle should be a strength for Oklahoma this year, even without Orlando Brown. And you may remember last week on the podcast, we talked about how Bill Biedenboe uh, told us uh, a week or two ago that Bobby Evans and Cody Ford have been rotating at left and right tackle. And then eventually Biedenboe will make the call on who's going to play where. Well, I got a chance to talk with Cody Ford after Monday's practice. I asked him about how that rotation is working in practice, and I got the chance to ask him about some other stuff. So take a listen. Coach Biedenboe was saying that you and Bobby are going back and forth at left and right tackle. Just how is that working in practice? Is it you, you play left tackle for a while and he plays right and you guys switch? How, can you characterize how, how, that, how that's going? Uh, so the deal was we'll go one day I'll be at left and then the other day I'll be at right and just vice versa. So, I mean, it's not like we're doing it mid-practice or before practice or after practice. So we have a mindset going in to what side we're going to be on that day. And where are you, where are you more comfortable right now? Uh, right now I'm better, more comfortable at the right. Okay. Where do you think Bobby's more comfortable? Do you guys talk about that? Hey, where? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't really guess him. I mean, that's him. Now Coach Riley and Coach Biedenboe were saying that you've dropped some weight, you're moving around well, and I, I think – uh, maybe Biedenboe was kind of like, ah, I'm not sure if you can make that transition from guard to tackle. If it's an offensive lineman, have you always kind of thought, I could play anywhere? I mean, is that ever an issue for you? Uh, I mean, I definitely have enough confidence in myself. I believe I can play anywhere among the amongst the uh, front five. But, I mean, 
losing the weight really definitely helped out a lot. So I think that was a big key in the uh, transition. For somebody who's never played offensive line, is it difficult to move positions like that, go guard, tackle? Uh, no, not really, because, I mean, like I said earlier, playing here as an O-lineman, you know every position. You know all the assignments. And then just going from guard to tackle, the only thing you may have to worry about is just some technique issues. But other than that, you're, you're pretty solid. That was redshirt junior Cody Ford following Monday's practice. Grant, your takeaways from that piece of audio. Honestly, the most interesting part of that, and I actually I, I heard him say the same thing um, about about having to know all of the assignments along the entire offensive line. I heard him say that on Monday when he was talking to Bob Prisbill over at Sooner Scoop as well. Um, that's super interesting to me. I, I would love to kind of be in a meeting because, and I want to know what the the reasoning is, is for that is probably pretty easy to you know just surmise is that you you need to know who you know the assignment of the guy next to you so you you know what to do on a play. But I, I really like that that he just kind of shrugged it off as like yeah I already know all the assignments it's just all about technique I, I that's that's great that's that's great and it sounds like I don't know if that's normal for every single team every single offensive line coach or if that's just a Bill Biedenboe thing because talking to Alvarez on Monday as well he, I mean he's a player who's played multiple positions on the offensive line as well and he's focusing on center right now which it's nice to be able to focus on one spot. But he's a player who's had to do that and has been asked to do that as well. So it might just be a Bill Biedenboe thing where he wants all of his linemen to be versatile and be able to, to play at every spot. Uh, to me, the most interesting thing was that he's, more, he's mostly comfortable at right tackle, which makes me believe, okay, then maybe that means Bobby Evans is going to be the left tackle like we all kind of thought. But what if... Man, what if both of their both of them are just more comfortable at right tackle and Oklahoma has two really good right tackles, but for whatever reason, they don't feel as good on the left side, and that ends up hurting the Sooners in some way, shape, or form. That would be pretty disappointing if, some, if, that, like, if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. Of, of course that would be disappointing. Um, it's a good thing there's three and a half weeks left of practice for them to keep going, and they, they you know, assumingly did it all, all spring as well, so... Um, you know, uh, there 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 could be different you know like waves of of comfortableness as well. Like, what if he's what if he's just extremely comfortable at right tackle, but he's just very comfortable at left tackle? <laughs> you know, I like it. I like it. Yeah, that's uh, that's about the most homerish thing I think I've heard you say in a long time. Yeah, I know, but it's some sometimes that's pretty I good can, though. Sometimes I can be a homer. Um, no, I, I think I, over the course, uh, I think in, in another one of Cody's interviews on Monday that I saw going around Twitter as well, um, I think he had even kind of went a little further when he said he's more, I, I think he, he, he has said something along the lines of, I'm more comfortable at right, but I've been playing better on the left side. I, I think I remember him saying that. Um, take that for what you will. I, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm starting to get the feeling that I, I think Cody Ford's going to be on the left side. I think, I think that. It, it kind of it makes sense. He's always played on the left side. Um, it makes sense just to kind of slide him over a couple yards to, to be the left tackle. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but, um, you know, three and a half weeks from the first game, if you're if you're making me, you know, make a call on it, that's that's what I would say would happen. And I believe that's what Bill Biedenboe said, too, when he was asked about Ford and, and Evans. I think that's it was Biedenboe that. who said it. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so you yeah, because Biedenboe had that that uh, comment a couple like a week and a half ago where he said that yeah Ford is is more comfortable at right tackle, but he's playing better at left. Or, and so is that kind of a confusing statement? It's like okay, like 
So I yeah I didn't hear Cody Ford say that on Monday. Uh, you said you heard him say that on Monday, or was that I I couldn't remember. You, I uh, yeah okay. I I think it was it was pro- I was probably taking that from from the Beatenbaugh interview. I think the, it was, the what interview? What did I the, say? Beatenbaugh? Beatenbaugh? Did I say Beatenbaugh? You said Beatenbaugh. Beatenbaugh. You know, what, like I know I know what you meant, but. I think it's kind of important to be able to pronounce names correctly, especially no, whenever we're talking Can about I, these guys all the time. Sidebar here for a second. So before you know, when when B, when Bill Biedenbaugh was first um, when he was first hired, excuse me, what I said, Ba, I, 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 okay, wait, no, it, it's it's Biedenbaugh, isn't it? God, it's now Beaten you got Bo. me all messed up. Oh, jeez, oh, oh, this doesn't happen. Are you about often, to go on guys. some rant about how it's important to to say? names correctly and then you you legitimately said a name wrong or off the top no i was just gonna say that and for about a year or two until i ever heard anyone pronounce his name i thought it was it was beatenbaugh i thought it was beatenbaugh until someone said beatenbaugh um so i mean beatenbaugh sounds so much better than beatenbaugh so i don't know why it was that but you know well i mean that's another one of those scenarios where we've just we've heard beatenbaugh so much so of course that sounds better but if his if his if it was pronounced beatenbaugh that would just be what we know and we'd probably say oh that sounds so much better than whatever so i I do want to say though that by you know by the way it's spelled it should be pronounced beatenbaugh so i i I did want to bring that out that i'm not it's it's uh it's grammatically correct to to pronounce it Mm beatenbaugh by the way Last thing on names, the most annoying name that people continue to mispronounce all the time over and over that just bothers me because this guy plays the most important position in sports. It's Marcus Mariota. It's Marcus Mariota. Even Titans fans probably mispronounce his name. And I remember watching, I can't remember what, was, did Mariota ever play in the Rose Bowl? Did Oregon ever play in the Rose Bowl? Yeah, or, they beat or, Florida State in the first year of the playoff. Maybe that's what it was. I remember they did... ESPN had some graphic up talking about that and they used like the Mario like the video game character and they were like oh this is how you say his name and I remember seeing that and they go, oh that makes it really easy to remember that it's Marcus Mariota but apparently not everybody watched that because there's still people out there that call him Mariota which annoys me because if you cover the NFL and you or if, especially if you're a fan of the Titans and you don't know how to pronounce the starting quarterback for your favorite team that's a problem all right that's my uh Stupid rant of the day that doesn't really make any uh, difference whatsoever. Any other thoughts on the offensive line or uh, honestly in, uh, for camp? Like That's all I have for OU camp, to be honest with you. It's been a pretty quiet uh, nearly uh, nearly week of OU fall camp. I wish I wish there were more like media availability at practices because I would like to just give you people who I want you to like take a look at just like to actually focus on like so for instance the a guy that I that I really want people to look at um, uh, aggressively is someone like Ronnie Perkins I want to see how how he looks how is how's he doing um, how does he look in his pads does he look big enough to play as a true freshman stuff like that um, I hope in the next media availability that's that's something we can find out. Um, and of course, around this time, everyone wants to know what you know, which which freshmen look like they're going to play. Um, Lee, I did. I just I'm just passing along what 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 the Twitter talk was here on Tuesday. But uh, apparently, Drake Stoops at wide receiver is impressing a lot of people, and I'm I, I don't have really any more information than that. But I, I apparently we, we got to watch out for Drake Stoops uh, over the course of his career here at Oklahoma because he might he might be a contributor at some point. Well, I didn't see any Twitter talk, but on the topic of drake stoops oklahoma football the official twitter account did tweet out a video today on tuesday highlighting the wide receivers in camp 
And the very last uh, video, last part of that, the the last part of that um, that video. I mean, I keep saying the word video uh, was Drake Stoops making a one-handed catch in the end zone on a pretty back shoulder throw from Kyler Murray. So it was such a yeah, that was actually my 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 first thought. Actually looking at it, it was like, holy crap, that was a good throw. And it was, uh, I mean, it was a, it had to be a one-handed catch, but the. The key to that throw was that the only person who could have caught it was Drake Stoops. Nobody else could have, which is a sign of a good back shoulder throw. If you watch that video on Twitter, and if you follow me on Twitter, I retweeted it and, and put my own comments there. Yeah, it's great that Oklahoma has a lot of good pass catchers, but the most important part of the video to me, and it sounds like you watched the video too, Grant, was there's two throws in the middle of the video where Kyler Murray puts the ball perfectly where it needs to go. One over the middle to Lee Morris, and then a perfect fade route to Marquise Brown just drops right in the bucket. So I like seeing perfect ball placement from Kyler Murray. That's more important to me than seeing the receivers make all these fancy-looking catches. Also, Justin Broyles on the Drake Stoops catch had really good coverage, too, in, in the corner of the end zone. So I, I, I wanted to to bring that up as well, especially on a video where all you saw was just the D-backs getting burned by receivers. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure we can anticipate the defensive back version of that from OU Football Twitter in the near future where they have plays of the D-backs knocking passes away or picking off quarterbacks, and then we'll start thinking, oh, man, oh, man, Oklahoma doesn't have a quarterback. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, look out for that. I'm sure it's coming. Hey, everyone, this is Lee. Grant and I went on to talk about ESPN's top 50 players list for 2018 ranking the last 21 national championship teams in college football and also the whole Urban Meyer situation at Ohio State. The discussion lasted about 40 minutes, but unfortunately, upon review, we had some technical difficulties with the latter half of the show, and our full discussion did not properly record. Our audio would continuously go in and out during points that we were making, and it was just impossible to listen to. You guys would not have understood any of it, and we apologize because it sounded terrible, and we thought we had some pretty good stuff, but I guess no one will ever know. Thankfully, we believe we know why this problem occurred, and we are confident this issue will not happen again in the future. It'd be a complete disaster if we were breaking down Oklahoma's nickel defense against FAU, and then this happened. That would be terrible. Luckily, this stuff hasn't really gone on much in the near year that we've been producing west of Everest. So a little shorter show this week. Grant and I will be back next week with all the latest developments surrounding Oklahoma football. As always, we appreciate all the support and all the listeners. For Grant, I'm Lee. This is West of Everest.